And I have these conversations with the hiring managers and my peer executives. I often ask them things like, who is the best person that works with you that comes from a non-traditional background? Would you take more of them? And of course, the answer is always yes. You can. You can do that. And why not risk the possibility of getting somebody amazing? Don't conduct your analysis in isolation because data is so incredibly powerful. Not defending just the tribe, but defending the organization. Those creative people that you really want to keep empowered, keep excited, keep motivated, keep thinking. A good experience pays dividends down the line. Stereotypes tend to break down in proximity. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast about human resources, business, technology, and the workplace. My name is Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. It's been Eubanks. I hope you are doing well. In the last few weeks, it's been wild and crazy over at our ends. We've been traveling, getting out, seeing people, being able to get back on a real stage again. That's been tremendously fun. Also, I've been doing some really interesting events and other things, new research, all kinds of stuff like that. So if you have not seen some of the new data we've been putting out around the great reprioritization, I highly encourage you to go check it out. I'll make sure a link to the blog is in the show notes so you can go directly and see that research, hear the video overview of that because we're seeing some really interesting things there. And I don't know about you, but I hate the term, the great resignation, because it feels like we're powerless to stop this wave that's going to come and crush all of us. And the truth is, it's actually not the case. That's not what's happening. It makes a great headline. But the actual data that we're seeing after surveying hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people is that they're changing their priorities. They're resetting what's important to them. They're, re, they're realizing where they should put in their time and their effort and their attention. So I hope you enjoy that. Definitely go check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes. In addition to that, today you're going to hear a special episode. I actually had the opportunity to record this recently with Peter Searcy of the FBI. We talked about some things that he's seeing around how we should be hiring people, not just for what they can do today, but what they can do for us in the future. Really looking at a potential aspect and not just hiring for their proficiency today. It casts a broader net. It allows us access to more people. And one of my favorite, favorite quotes in this, as you probably already heard in the teaser, is what if we take this risk and it turns out to be someone incredible and amazing that we never would have had otherwise? So this episode that you're about to hear is actually a replay from the virtual event that we ran back in October called the State of Hiring in Today's Talent Market. It really was a focus and an opportunity to dive into all the different aspects of hiring, what's happening in the world, what we're seeing or hearing from employers. We had different employers come in and tell their stories about how they're trying to solve this problem. So if you did not see that, that entire replay is available on demand for free. I'll make sure that link is in the show notes as well. Three HRCI or SHRM credits free to you if you want to check that out. Not only just the credits and the content and everything else, but I'm really hoping it's going to give you some inspiration, some encouragement that things are challenging, things are tough, but we have the opportunity to step up. We have the opportunity to, to pull some levers to affect some change and to drive some things that are really important right now. So I'm so honored you're here with us. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your, your interest. 
If you do not mind, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone else that you know that might also enjoy it. Word of mouth is the best way the podcast grows, and I personally would appreciate it. Now, without any further ado, let's get into Peter Searcy. Let's hear from him. You're going to get fired up. I'm telling you, he's got incredible passion for this stuff. You'll enjoy it thoroughly. So let's dive right in. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another fun conversation. We're going to be talking with one of my friends, Peter Searcy, about what's happening in some of the things that the FBI is doing or hiring and also get, get his insights into why we shouldn't be hiring only for someone's degree, someone's experience, but also looking at other factors, especially today, as every company is saying, we can't find people and we're going to use somebody on how to cast a broader nets. I guess, and uh, explore that a little bit. I'm so excited to quiz him because he and I did not prep very much. And so I'm so excited to hear what he has to say. I have my pen ready over here to make my own notes and, and learn from him as we go. So Peter, welcome. Glad to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Before we dive into some of the fun stuff, would you take a minute and tell the audience a little more about who you are and what you do and leave out all the interest you have and pumpkin spice baked goods because those are, well... Yeah, yeah I'm, a, I'm a definitely a, a pumpkin-flavored baked goods kind of guy for fall. Uh, yeah, so I'm with the FBI. I've been with the FBI for 23 years. Uh, started out in operations, and then a lot of us found our found my way to human resources sideways, fell in love with it. So for five years, I was the head of foreign language hiring for translators, interpreters, things like that for Bureau. And then for four and a half years, I was head of hiring for the entire FBI, which was crazy, but super fun, really interesting, loved it. And then about four months ago, they said, hey, um, I know you're not an accountant or do anything in finance, but why don't you go sideways to take a role in our finance division? So uh, now I'm trying to figure out finance stuff, but really they're all people problems over there anyway. It's all good. It, it would probably do some financial people, some accountants, financial analysts, like some good to be around. Yeah. At some it's all, we're not communicating well. How do we set a common culture? How do we problem? It's all the same stuff. Hmm. If only that was a HR person that we could plug into that. That's all he is on that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. That is so awesome. And I'm so excited. What's fun for me is that might be an example we're talking about here in this conversation today, right? There's nothing on your resume that says, you know what? We should do it, Peter. (laughs) He's plugging in over here. But a lot of company I'm talking with, a lot of leaders we're talking to, and some of the other sections of the, the event today, we're hearing from leaders talking about how to cast a bigger net, how to attract more candidates, how to be different in their hiring practices, because finally things got painful enough. Um, one of my favorite sayings, when the pain of change is less than the pain of saying, we're going to make that yeah. And so more organizations are leading into how to make that change. I'd love to hear from you because I've seen a piece you've written on this and thinking about what's happening in the space. And so respect your opinion a lot. How can companies start down that path of saying, okay, let's consider this. Why should they? I'm start with that, kind of cast a vision for it. And then we'll get into some of the owls and what it takes to make that actually work. Yeah. And I think from the biggest picture, like you, you said, everything is a hot mess right now in the labor market. And that comes with pain, but also tons of opportunity. And it's just irrational to say, we have all these people applying for jobs, but none of the right people. And none of these people, all these people in theory want to work for us, but like, they can't. Somehow, and yet we keep, we have all these open wrecks that we can't fill. These facts just do not align themselves, I think, really. I think then we have to go back and be like, okay, thousands of people, maybe, or hundreds of people depending outside the company or dozens of people, whatever, want to work for us, but somehow they're not the, the right people. So let's examine that. If you look at the organization you're in right now at almost any level, and you just look around at who you work with today, not everybody comes from what you would think of as the most traditional background for the 
the role you're trying to fill. And I have these conversations with the hiring managers and my peer executives. I often ask them things like, who is the best person that works with you that comes from a non-traditional background? Would you take more of them? And of course, the answer is always yes. You can. You can do that. And why not risk the possibility of getting somebody amazing instead of uh, just getting, you just having these open recs stay open. And at some point, I think we don't, we always think about is the risk of this person we're going to bring in maybe failing because that's what, what do all hiring agents want? I want somebody that's going to come in and be successful. So it's the risk of future failure that they're against, but we don't think of that loss of productivity, the absence and the stress that puts on all of our other people. Like those are sometimes tangible, sometimes a little bit more intangible, but the longer those go on, like that's a huge cost too. And is that actually less than this risk, future risk of maybe failure? I don't think so. Career Builder had studied a couple of years ago and the big takeaway, there's like, like a million dollar price tag on the cost of the skills gap. And they got down, they got into the real specific things. Like there's, as you were saying, the cost of the morale of your team when they are consistently having to cover that other thing that's not getting done yep. because that person's not here because you're holding out for that perfect unicorn that's somewhere out there. Goodness. There's a lot of cost to that. I was glad they factored those things in because usually we think it, it's just a pain or it's just trouble. It's whatever else. I had a leader in the past that said, hey, we're saving money on our budget because that position's not filled. I said, yeah, until one of your people quits because they're yeah. to carrying that yeah. double weight on their shoulders. And yeah. I don't know why it takes, why it's way to force them to see it that way, but there is a cost to that. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, yeah. And I think part of it is we're HR people. We know the labor market. Most hiring managers don't like that's not their job. That's not their expertise. Sure. So all they think is you can't do your job well enough to find me the person that I'm looking for. So you just need to work harder. We know that's crazy, but, but they don't. So I think a huge part of our role as HR professionals is to try to like make sure the hiring managers understand like what we're working, what is happening. It's hard because I know, because of course I talk to my peers. They're always like, hiring managers, they don't want to hear reality. They don't want to hear what you have to say. And I get it. I've been in those situations both times. I think we all have been, right? And that's why having that relationship of trust with those hiring managers, like working really hard to build those relationships is so critical because like when you tell them something that they don't want to hear and they don't know you, all they know is you're some guy from outside the department who's basically saying, I can't have the shiny thing that I'm convinced I need to be successful. They're just going to push back. And that's the fear of their own failure. And so you need to reassure them, hey, I'm here to help you be successful. If you're successful, I'm successful. All I want to do is fill your job and you're successful. And then like, I got other stuff to do. So let me help you. And, and we're going to build this relationship of trust. So I think if you like focus really in on that relationship that you're here to help make them successful, then maybe, you know, that you can start to tell them things like maybe they don't want to hear, maybe you can lead them to think of new ways that they hadn't thought about before. That's how I would start for sure. In terms of building a relationship, would you recommend asking questions, understanding what their priorities are, or understanding what earlier, one of the ways that you said that the thing they care about is team performance, stability, like making sure that things are just working because they don't want to have to stop what they're doing and focus on fixing that thing. I, I think you said, why not risk getting someone amazing? I wrote that down because I think that's a great, great way of looking at it. What sort of questions should someone ask to start building a better relationship or start deepening that relationship that already exists so that when it comes time to say, I want to push back on this gently, but firmly, what's the best way to, to kind of put some money in that bank so that when it's time to take out that, that withdrawal, yeah. it's not a lot of pushback. Yeah, I would say, obviously, once you understand what the functional role is, what the, what the actual like, 
hard details of the open rec are. And sometimes there are like non-negotiable things. Obviously, if you want an accountant, you have to have the accounting degree. Like there's more experience in accounting. There are are certain non-negotiables, really. But I think you have to understand what is that person? What's that team? What does your program do within the organization? I think it's also really important to understand, are you in a maintaining mode, a growing mode, a rebuilding mode, a, you know, burning things down to, to rebuild next year mode? Because you're, you're going to hire different people for all of those situations. And, but then I would always go in, people always say, well, what are you looking for? And they're like, oh, 10 years of experience and X and Y and Z and list all the, in a perfect world, I'd have those things. But instead, I think what you say is, okay, the people on your team that are the best, why are they the best? What makes them the best? And a degree from Stanford or 10 years of experience in the industry maybe is the reason but probably not. It's probably, oh, uh, they're a great problem solver. They have great um, intuition. They work their butt off all the time. They are super dedicated and they really want to get things. They have tons of initiative, all of which are the soft skills that anybody can have. But I think that's where you lead them. You say, okay, so what you really want are more people like them. So you want people with like high level initiative, um, problem solving, dedication to what they're doing. I always throw, because Nobody outside HR knows the word learning agility. They don't know what that means. But I, I always throw that in because they need, they know they need that. If they don't know that, the ability to learn new things and be successful, I always throw that in. They're, they always nod. I'm like, okay, I'm going to find you people. That's their core skill set. That's the people that's going to be succeed. And then if they have this, if they have this, then those are like the next layer out. And th- think of it, that's the core. And then every one of these other things that were you would love, those are like, the bonus option. That's the downloadable content bonus pack that you get after you've solved the core game. That's how I usually try to pitch it to them and see it that way. Um, and usually, not always, usually that works. And sometimes they'll push back and be like, okay, but tell, you, tell me why that's important. Because when you talked about your person that's amazing, you didn't mention that right off the bat. So tell me what's going on like that. Mm-hmm. And what's your amazing person right now meet the rec you're giving me. So that's also something to do is, okay, how many people on your team right now meet the rec you're giving me? And sometimes that's not relevant and you would expect them to say that. Hey, I have a team full of newbies. I need an experienced person to balance them out. That's totally legitimate. I have a team of very experienced people. I need, they all meet that. I was like, okay, so it sounds like what you can use is you can bring in some junior talent because you have all these people to mentor them. So there's a little bit of pushing them in the direction you want. I love those examples because those are very tangible and practical for people listening in. Say, okay, now I can go and do this thing. So next time you're having one of those conversations or you're out there listening right now, when you're having those conversations, use some of those things Peter's talking about. So those tactics, some of those strategies. What's funny is I'm, what's interesting, I guess, not funny. What's interesting is as he was talking or as you were talking to some of those things a minute ago, get them to say yes to a few things. And then when it's time to say, hey, and th- so next time we're going to do this, I'll look for these things and those will be bonuses. Okay. You're getting them, you're leading this path. It's like an old sales tactic to get them to start saying yes. And at the end of the process, they'll say yes to whatever the big ask is. And that's the big ask. You're building up to that. And you're like, oh, this is important. What about this thing? Do you think this is important to this person, to this role? And you start getting them to these like little micro yeses leading up to that big, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to ask you to do something that might be a little uncomfortable. Commit to that. And you know, a lot of research that shows people do that. Yeah, but it's so interesting that you said it's like the sales tactic. And I want to talk about that because part of the reason, like when you go into a, like a high sales pressure place that we react negatively to that, which we often do, you know, if they're trying to sell you windows or whatever, a car, they show up your, your neighborhood with their flyer and the clipboard and you just like, you're in dread already. 
it's because there's no relationship. Your car, your car warranty, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, it's because there's no relationship of trust. There's no, there's nothing, there's nothing to be this, I don't want to say pressuring, but like this maneuvering on. That's why creating that relationship is so important. And if you're new to this hiring manager, you do need to spend that time and be like, hey, let me tell you about me. Let me tell you how I work. Tell me more about you. Again, I'm here. The most important thing is I'm going to make you successful. My job is to ensure that you hit your numbers, you meet your goals, you do whatever you do. Because that establishes that you are the partner in what they're trying to accomplish, not, look, I got a rec to fill, tell me what you want, I'll do it, whatever. I'm like a chop shop. I'm just like in and out, in and out. There are HR departments like that, like clearly, but you don't want to be one of those HR departments, right? You want to be this partner. And so I would say jump in and start there, right? That's that. The more you can concretely ground it in their business objectives and you are here to make their business objectives successful, the more likely you are to take away their anxiety about, but what if I fill in the blank? Don't get somebody in time. Don't get somebody who's the right level. Don't get somebody who can be successful. You're trying to like pull that anxious energy out of the system, right? Yes. I want to tell you a quick, I'll give you a quick example of a company or a recruiter that I talked to year and a half ago that was doing this because they had run into this problem where the, the skills they were looking for, they could not find. And so their hiring manager said, okay, what are the things people got house? Okay, well, I've got to have this degree from this school and they've got to have experience from this competitor. And I had these really specific things and they could never get them to budge on that. So she actually said, okay, we're going to have a group interview this week. We're going to have five people up front. You're going to have, you're going to take notes in the bank. I'll ask them the questions. At the end, you tell me which ones you like. And so at the end of the, this, they asked them some questions to understand their kind of technical proficiency, things like that. At the end, they said, okay, I like number three, number five. And only then did the hiring manager get the resume and find out, oh, by the way, none of those candidates had either of those things she said were a must have for that job. She was trying to get into the, to realize that this isn't, this is something you've figured out in your head. It's not actually anything in reality. And so I, that's an other example of someone I've seen trying to break down those barriers gently, but to make a really clear point that the things that you think are true. They may be true at one point. Absolutely. I don't want to say that your opinion doesn't matter, but today this is a very different environment. And rather than just saying, oh, it's hard. It's no, let's use some actual data or evidence to try to back up yeah. this new approach. Yeah. And I think the reality is also you can tell in, in a screening interview or a first round interview, are these people interested in your company or your organization or were they just shotgunning resumes? Out. And you can't, you don't just want to take, you know, anybody either. But I think people are passionate about your organization or the industry. That will carry them a long way, especially if they're earlier in their career or they're, or more probably they're trying to change uh, industries. They're trying to go from one to another, like changing industries mid-career is hard, right? There's a lot of institutional inertia keeping you where you are. So people are making a really active effort to leave what they're doing and going somewhere else to me. Those are always really great candidates because they are real. Something is really driving them to make this change in middle age and mid career. I'm like, you want to find out like what that is, because you might be able to tap into that passion. And if you're the one that gives them the break that helps them like jump to something they're passionate about, man, they will love you forever. And they will work their butt off for you way beyond somebody. It's like, you're just another notch in my belt in a career that I already have and work that I already know how to do. And I'm already bored with. So I would say, try to tap into that, like hunger to do something with you. And so if they don't have that exact thing you're looking for, maybe that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, 
Like you said earlier, one of the things that the first arguments is these things are non-negotiable, right? I don't want to, I don't want a heart surgeon that's really passionate, but has no degree. Okay. I, I get Not that. Obviously, yeah. But for a lot of the kinds of things we're talking about, there are gray areas. And there's one of the, one leader I talked to recently and said, we're now hiring one level below with the expectation to develop that person up into the next, whatever we need them to be. Not only because it's hard to find people at that level that they've been posting at in the past, but also because she said, if we hire them for a competitor, we find out we have to untrain them on some of the things they've learned because that's not how we do it, what we believe or the thing yeah. that are important to us and our values. So she said, we're actually able to, while we have some, a longer ramp up time to train them into the specific skill areas we need. We're also not having to break some of those old mindsets they had because they picked up these bad habits at another company, essentially. So there's some fun things around this. Yeah. Too. There are some side benefits that you don't even realize, essentially, when you're starting down this path. Yeah. When we were, we were working with our IT hiring people, basically the group in the FBI to hire software engineers. Uh, which is very difficult for anybody, but on the FBI, it's not known as a software engineering place. So it was already like upstream. And they were really convinced we had needed all these like very experienced, high graded, high salary individuals to get the top talent combined. For a variety of reasons, we changed the entire hiring mechanism and effectively pulled hiring managers from multiple groups into like big group interviews of multiple candidates at a time for a bunch of other reasons. But what we found actually is by just, hey, Interview all these people, whoever you like, we'll make an offer. Suddenly, the average experience level started to go down because they're like, oh my God, we're finding all this amazing talent at the lower level and we're starting to bring these people in. And if we had been so focused on, like in the past, what, no, we only wanted to see people with XYZ, years of experience, blah, blah, blah. These people would never even have come to us. We would never have talked to them. And suddenly the average salary level started to go down not in any bad way, just like they were bringing in younger talent who was hungrier, who was like more passionate about, and that was a very unexpected benefit for them. I was like, really, was it unexpected for me? No, for me, not unexpected. For you, maybe unexpected. For me, obviously natural. And sometimes just even changing the structure of having to try to bring people in, maybe multiple levels, you'll see a little bit more too. So that's another practical thing is if one group is hiring experienced and junior people, like maybe have them all interview together. Just be like, hey, Whoever you like will fill open roles and just see where we are. Maybe they'll like more junior people because maybe they'll be impressed. You just have to think about the right way to do that. But sometimes just mixing it up a little bit is also will get you some good rewards. Good, gracious. Okay, so I've written down a ton of, a ton of ideas and things and, and suggestions, everything else. Again, that, that quote from earlier, I'll say it again because if I get a chance to quote Peter Cersei, it's, it's a great day. Why not risk getting someone amazing? That's a great, that's a great argument. Right? And a great conversation point for that. Because they, the risk in their head is risk of non-performance, the risk of yeah. you know, my team's going to be unstable, the risk of not being able to meet our deliverables. Why not risk getting someone incredible that actually helps you to hit all those things? The the way I push back on that in the past is you know, like, no, no, these things are important. And I say, okay, let's look at the people you've hired. You talked to the positive side of that a minute ago. Look at the people you've hired in the past. They're they're great now. They're high performance your team. But even they have something that you're like, man, if, if I can get someone that didn't have that gap, we, a local nonprofit just last year hired the executive director. He had been there for 40 years leading this organization for 40 years, just retired or hiring someone. They said, we want someone that's him, but with these extra things, I'm like you're, you can't do that. You're going to end up trading off something else. You're, you can't, that perfect person may look great on paper, yeah. can't well, but you'll find out once they're there. Okay. There those gaps are. We knew they were there somewhere. And so that's the other tool that I kind of use on that side is to say, just remember, you, we want to imagine this perfect world where that person comes in, they have all those things and 
there is greater our existing team and they fit in seamlessly and 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 usually it's an or it, they get yeah. this or that but they can't have all of it let me tell you in two situations like that like i usually say jesus is busy he's got a job he's not available who else can you have but also think about especially that situation where a very experienced person is left and they're they're so adamant they have to have that i'm like yeah but when you hired that person x years ago think of how different the external world was so i always try to pin it to the external world is changing and we need somebody who can understand the skills that are needed right now, but also what's going to be needed in the future. And whatever we hire for today, five years from now, they're going to be doing some thing that doesn't exist now, working on some software program, doing some kind of thing that your organization doesn't even do, right? So you want to hire for that ability to grow and evolve. So if you're hiring for the ability to grow and evolve, if they have a hundred percent of the perfect candidate right now, they're still going to have to grow and evolve. It doesn't really matter. Maybe you don't need everything you think you need. And the reality is people on your team who are amazing don't have that now. Just one last thing. I'm going to say one last thing I want to throw your way really quick, because you said earlier, you were careful. You did say, we want to hit the copy button and find the person just like we've got, right? A lot of leaders come in and say that from an equity perspective, you said behaviors are really, let's find the person that has the right behaviors to do the job well, right? Or those inclinations to be able to learn, to be able to do the job well. And I think that opens up the door to you to finding people outside of that normal bubble. I would imagine the people that naturally gravitate to the work that the FBI does, and you can correct me on this, would be white adult male or white yeah. men essentially would be drawn to that because it, when you watch all the movies and everything else, the FBI agent's always some guy and that seems like it would open up the opportunities for other people to be considered for this when we don't hold to what we kind of hit the, put them in the copy or hit the copy yep. button and we'll find someone else just like that. Yeah. And I also think you have to explain, we, again, we're in HR. We all really understand why diversity is important. You don't have to explain it to us. But I think outside of that, like maybe they understand it's important, but maybe they think it's not kind of PC, BS. Yeah. Okay. Diversity, blah, blah. But, or that I'm colorblind. It doesn't matter. I just want the best person. I'm like, Okay, sure. We've all heard that too. I think it's really important to define that lack of diversity in a way that's important to your organization. So for the FBI, it's operational risk. That's the language of our organization. If we are not diverse, those are victims we cannot comfort, sources we cannot develop, populations that we cannot aid, part of the American population that we cannot effectively represent. That is an operational risk and we are not going to be successful. Man, light bulbs go off when you define it that way because that is like, that is our lane. Mission critical, right? Saying, yeah, saying it's really important to be diverse. They don't care. I don't say they don't care, but like that it does not speak to them. So I would say find the language that your organization understands that, you know, where the diversity is going to improve, whether it's like, hey, these are new customer market segments that we're going to be able to have better insight in whatever it is for your organization. And then that paired with people like this, people who have these soft skills, these skills, that will really open it up to increasing the diversity. If the manager has an awareness of what their diversity numbers are at all anyway, so you should also try to see like, if I were to take a look at your team, I, it's always awkward to ask about the diversity numbers. So I was trying to say, hey, if your team were to take a group picture, like how uniform would that picture look, right? That's like a very soft, you know, way to be like, hey, everybody picture looks the same. Would it be like, there'd be a lot of variety. Would it be like minimal variety? Give me some change. And then that kind of helps me anchor in. I'm like, okay, what they're already bringing in a very diverse group of people. And so I don't really have to worry about that angle because something is already working or like, wow, they are, do not have a diverse group already. So maybe I need to think about that, try to add that into my calculus. I love that question. That's a very coaching kind of question. It's not a 
finger pointing. How bad have you screwed this up? It's a, have you ever thought about that? Yeah. And suddenly well, yeah. like, being very introspective and reflective and yeah, you know what? Maybe not. Interesting. Yeah. Also, this has been a tremendous conversation. I, oh, super fun. I have appreciated your insights, your passion, and your just excitement for the space and willingness to share. If someone wants to connect with the incredible Peter Cersei, what's the best way for them to do that? LinkedIn, for sure. Yeah. Peter Cersei, S-U-R-S-I. I'm on LinkedIn. Just DM me, find me, chat with me. It'd be great. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much again for joining us. I really appreciate your time and your expertise. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today on the podcast. I appreciate you. This has been another wonderful episode of We Are Only Human, and we will catch you next time, my friends. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm honored to have you as a listener. If you enjoyed this episode, please take 10 seconds to rate it at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you know a friend that could benefit from today's conversation, please pass it their way. After all, a rising tide lifts all ships. To see show notes, sponsor information, and our full show archives, visit OnlyHumanShow.com. 